It's the Americhips with Kim Monson. Now, while this is all going on, I went through President Trump's speech and uh, Chuck and Nancy's rebuttal. The most important story. The American people finally said enough, and that is why they elected Donald Trump. The latest in politics and world affairs. Britain's version of Medicare for All is struggling with long waits for care. And opinions and ideas that prepare you to tackle the day ahead. Because ideas matter. It's the Americhicks, dissecting issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree, let's have a conversation. Indeed, let's have a conversation. Welcome to the Americhicks with Kim Munson. We are having a conversation about those important events Important issues out there that affect you and your families. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, We are going to talk about some very important local things that are going on here in Colorado. Uh, We'll go through some headlines, though, first in this first segment. Second segment, Joshua Scharf has written a very important piece in Complete Colorado regarding PARA, the Public Employees Retirement Association. It's their retirement plan. And it's titled uh, PARA's Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Year. And uh, so you'll want to find out about that in the second segment. Third and fourth segment, Mike Shelton, who is a Broomfield City Councilman, uh, again has written a very important piece that is in uh, Complete Colorado. And he says tax rebates to corporations are unfair, unhealthy, and unnecessary. So once again, this is going to be a very important conversation. It will it will arm you to be able to have reasonable conversations with your friends, your family, and your colleagues about these very important issues that affect each and every one of us. And uh, just a reminder, you know, there's this narrative that is romancing socialism out there. Socialism, there is nothing social about socialism. Socialism is force. And we remember, and actually somebody, Steve, uh, mentioned last night, you know, we've been talking about freedom versus force, force versus freedom. And they said, Kim, I think you should change that that middle middle word there. It should be freedom, not force. Uh, and uh, and, and uh, so freedom instead of force. Uh, so I'm going to work on that. Uh, depends. Some mornings I may say freedom versus force, force versus freedom, but it's freedom, not force. And studies show that Americans still like freedom. So it's never compassionate to take other people's rights, property, or freedom via force, whether with a weapon policy or unpredictable and excessive taxation. We're going to jump right into our inspiration for today. Um, And today we're we're talking about local government and government. And uh, so I went to Maggie Thatcher. Uh, She was prime minister of Britain, and she said, disciplining yourself to do what you know is right and important Although difficult, is the high road to pride, self-esteem, and personal satisfaction. Again, disciplining yourself to do what you know is right and important, although it's difficult, is the high road to pride, self-esteem, and personal satisfaction. And that is Maggie Thatcher. And I do want to say thank you to the great team that we have uh, working on this show, and that is producer Steve. Thank you so much. Zach, Patty, Keith, greatly appreciate all of you. And as I was uh, parking the car... This morning, I was was thinking about each of you listeners out there. Each of you has your own personal story. Each of you are treasured and valued. And uh, as you walk your journey today, just know that you are treasured and valued and that, uh, uh, you know, that that each of us are individuals and we are all out there doing our best with our own individual stories. And I wish you all a, a very good day. I know that there's challenges out there. 
there's great things and there's challenges, and you walk through those every day and do your very best. So thank you to each of you listeners out there. Uh, uh, the joke I had to, I ran this by Steve yesterday, and uh, local government, I thought this was kind of funny. Are you ready, Steve? Go for it. Okay. So, local government humor. This is where I found this. Bob, at age 70, was a wealthy widower and the oldest member of the local town council. Though his wife had passed on several years prior, Bob continued to make their annual trip to Florida each year. This year, when Bob returned from Florida, he showed up with a breathtakingly beautiful 25-year-old woman. The woman was stunning with her charm, her figure, her, her gorgeous tan, and absolute sex appeal. And wherever they they went, she hung on uh, Bob's arm and listened intently to every word that he spoke. A few days after returning from Florida, Bob brought her to the town council meeting. And his colleagues were incredulous. One asked, Bob, how did you find such a beautiful young girlfriend? And Bob replied, she's not my girlfriend. She's my wife. His colleagues were dumbfounded. So one immediately asked, Bob, how did you ever persuade a woman that young and gorgeous to marry you? And Bob replied, well, I lied about my age. And his friend said, what? You told her you were 50? And Bob smiled and said, no, I told her I was 90. (laughs) Okay, on that note, we're going to jump into headlines. First thing, uh, I wanted to make sure this, uh, we have so many headlines and so much to tell you. And I I hadn't gotten to this yet. But many of you probably know uh, Tom Steyer out in California, he is a billionaire. He has announced that he is running for president. He is, he is a climate, uh, climate activist, let's put it this way. And in a video that was released on Tuesday morning, Steyer said, <clears throat> if you think that there's something absolutely critical, try as hard as you can and let the chips fall where they may. And that is exactly what I'm doing. My name is Tom Steyer, and I'm running for president. Steyer has operated as a funding force in Democrat politics in recent years, bankrolling candidates and organizations that promote liberal causes, including the impeachment of President Donald Trump. Steyer's net worth reached $1.6 billion this year, according to Forbes, a fortune that he began amassing in 1996 when he launched his hedge fund, Farallon Capital. In the 2018 House races, Steyer spent over $100 million on and marked the third consecutive election cycle in which he spent millions supporting Democrat candidates. But it's Steyer's efforts to impeach Trump, which have made him the most visible, uh, starring in his self-funded television commercials in which he calls on Congress to remove the president from office. Steyer's late entry to the race makes it highly unlikely that he will qualify for the second round of Democrat debates hosted by CNN, which is set for the end of this month. To make the stage in under three weeks, he'll need to receive campaign contributions from 65,000 individuals and receive 1% support in at least three DNC-approved polls. And Steyer will face immediate resistance by the already crowded Democrat field. The New York Times reported that Steyer has pledged to spend $100 million on his bid, putting him directly at odds with Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren, who has sworn off private high-dollar fundraising events during her primary campaign and vocally criticized the political influences of billionaires and corporations. Uh, I think it's important that you understand that Tom Steyer actually made uh, his fortune uh, in fossil fuels. And so it's, uh, it's just astounding to me uh, that now he, he wants to put in policies that make fossil fuels, which fossil fuels are reliable, they are efficient, 
and and um, they're you know they're affordable, and those are three things that help everyday people uh, thrive and prosper. So here's a guy who made his money on fossil fuels, and he's uh, he's uh, going to run for president, and he doesn't want everybody else to have the benefits of fossil fuels. He wants to make energy more and more expensive for everyday hardworking people. Any comments on that, Steve? What's the definition of potpourri? A little bit of everything? Yeah. <laughs> this is uh, essentially what's happening on the, <laughs> in the democratic world with the, the march forward to November of 2020. Well, and I saw a funny meme recently, and it's, it had, was a little meme, and it had all, you know, a whole bunch of Democrat candidates, and it had a moderator, and it says, which of you are for free? And you see everybody's how, uh, hands raised, and he says, I haven't finished the question yet. <laughs> I thought that's very, very appropriate. Another thing on the national level that I think that we need to be really, really concerned about, and that is that uh, Governor Cuomo in New York has signed a bill which will allow Congress to get President Trump's tax returns. Now, I know that people that dislike President Trump significantly think that this is a great idea. But you know what, everybody? You need to take a litmus test. If government can do this, this is against the law to, to pass a bill to get at some, somebody's personal tax returns. And if they can do that to President Trump, who's going to be next? And this is highly unconstitutional. It's, uh, it's, um, it's really political maneuvering to go after a political oppo- opponent using uh, the force of government. And if this is where we are in America right now, we need to be very, very concerned about that. And so, again, uh, I find this very troubling, uh, what's happening in New York. And uh, maybe that's one of the reasons why people are moving out of New York is because they are uh, they're off their rocker on a number of different things. Can we uh, see Governor Cuomo's tax return? Well, you know what? And speaking of that, somebody said, you know what? I would be more interested in seeing politicians' tax returns who have become millionaires than a billionaire uh, businessman who has become a politician. Now, how is that, Steve? You know, let's, let's just think about it. These people go to Congress, you know, and they're paid a, you know, a, a good salary. But how is it that they go in and just make this certain amount of money and they come out millionaires? How does that happen? Well, and we wonder why... You know, the, the the march towards term limits is getting, you know, that drumbeat is getting louder and louder because people are getting kind of tired of this because it's the obvious draw. I'm going to go to Washington and I'm going to make a, mile, a ton of money. And, uh, and, and that was never the way that it was supposed to be. And, and one of the reasons that I submit to you that that is happening is because we have been moving away from representative government <clears throat> to administrative government. And so people get embedded. You have your politicians and your bureaucrats, your interested parties, and they're all continually working together to keep their power, and uh, there's money involved in that. And uh, so I know that that is why we're talking, many people are talking about term limits. Ideally, I'd like term limits to happen at the ballot box, but that doesn't necessarily happen all the time. Most notably, though, Ted Cruz seems to be leading the way in uh, some of his efforts very recently. Well, and and I think that that may be what we're going to need to do. One other quick headline, and then we're going to go to break here in just a minute. We're going to be back with Joshua Scharf. But Kamala Harris, who is running for president, she has launched a plan 
for $100 billion to help black families with home ownership. And this is what she said. Now, bear in mind, she is a, a woman of color, and she is a very powerful U.S. senator. We recently had a black president. And so, you know, people are, are getting to the very top of, of the different professions. And I would like it to be because of the content of their character and because of the merit of the work that they do. And what Kamala Harris is proposing here, she's out in California, and California is increasingly becoming a have and have not state. There's the rich and there's the poor, and then they say that they want to uh, fix problems. They are squeezing the middle class, and now she is defining just because of the color of your skin that you would get um, money for your house versus somebody else. I actually think that that is very racist. And I think that we need to call her on that. Uh, But we're going to go to break here. When we come back, we'll be talking with Joshua Scharf. Uh, And we've been on the all-star break for uh, baseball. Baseball starts up again. Uh, We'll see the Rockies play the Cincinnati Reds. They're going to be coming to town. And Hooters Restaurants is the place to watch all the games. You can enjoy Hooters beach-worthy seafood items. They have fish tacos, snow crab legs, mouth-watering buffalo shrimp. And again, Steve, last night the girls came over, and I ordered that mouth-watering buffalo shrimp, and I didn't get one. I don't know. I guess, Do I have to come over there, I guess, and direct traffic or something like that? I think you're going to have to. But uh, it, obviously, they are delicious. So the other great thing is, is if uh, you're out for lunch, they have nine items for 9 bucks, 11 to 3 p.m., Monday through Friday. They've got fabulous, uh, delicious menu items there. So if you want more information on any of this, go to HootersColorado.com. That's HootersColorado.com. Let them know that you know the AmeriChicks. We're going to go to break. When we come back, we'll be talking with Joshua Scharf regarding his very important piece in Complete Colorado, Para's terrible, horrible, no good, very bad year. We'll be right back. All AmeriChick sponsors are an exclusive partnership with the AmeriChicks and are not affiliated or in partnership with KLZ or Crawford Broadcasting. If you would like to support the work of the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson and grow your business, contact Kim at AmeriChicks.com. That's AmeriChicks.com. You want to succeed, so you need to dress for the job, event, or relationship that you seek. For over 30 years, entrepreneur, stylist, and AmeriChick Kim Munson has been helping women look their very best. And guys, Kim can help you with made-to-measure shirts that fit great and you'll love to wear. Guys and gals, if you want to up your game and freshen your look, email Kim at AmeriChicks.com for your initial style consult. Kim at AmeriChicks.com. Hey, welcome back to the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson, where we dissect issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left, agree or disagree. Let's have a conversation. And I'm thrilled to have on the line with me Joshua Scharf. Uh, he is he's a numbers guy, and he had a very important piece in uh, Complete Colorado. It's July 2nd. It's Paris, terrible, horrible, no good, very bad year. Joshua Scharf, welcome to the AmeriChicks. Good morning, Kim. How are you? Well, I am good, but should I be good? I'm looking at this piece that you did, <laughs> and what has happened over at PARA, the Public Employee Retirement Association? That's the, um, the retirement plan for public employees. What's going on over there? Last year, uh, PARA saw a return on its investment of minus 3.5%, and that has had some... Effects on where we sit on, uh, you know, where, where we sit on, on uh, in terms of balances, 
what kinds of things have to kick in uh, that that will hopefully help uh, help keep the keep the program from uh, from getting into continued bad shape, and then uh, of course it also uh, uh, you know raises some potential yellow flags uh, given what we may be you know at some point none of us likes to think about this but at some point we're going to be heading into a cyclical recession of some kind the market will reflect that. And then where will we be, you know, where, where will we be uh, once the market begins to reflect that as well? Uh, Para uh, has, a, you know, has a fairly diverse portfolio, but one of the things that, that we've been claiming for a while is that for the returns that they get, they've taken on too much volatility. They've taken on too much risk, which, which manifests itself in volatility. Mm-hmm. And this appears, to be, this appears to be some evidence of that, that they, they, if you look at other pension funds, uh, that uh, around the country, large and small, that make similar returns, Terra's volatility is among the highest. And this is the kind of thing that happens when you, when you invest the way they invested. Well, and they're doing that because, um, if I remember right, when I was on city council, they were assuming, I think, an 8% annual rate of return. I think that they have brought that down just a little bit. But assuming that rate of return, when in actuality they were down 0.3%, that's a big problem from what I can see. Well, I, I, it was it was worse than 0.3%. It was actually it was actually three and a half percent. They were down. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and so that what what that meant is that they um, they went from having a, a net position, what used to be called net assets, but now in pension uh, fund terminology is called net position, of a little over 40, 53 billion dollars to a little under fifty billion dollars, right around forty nine billion dollars. Which means that they were down because of that. They were down seven and a half percent in their net position. Now, how is that possible? That you have, you know, that you, you lose three, three and a half percent. You're down seven and a half percent in your net position. The reason for that is that they're underfunded to begin with. So the money that they make on their investments has to do two things. With a well-funded pension program, it only does one thing. It makes up the it helps pay benefits. And so you take in a certain amount, pay out a certain amount in benefits. You, you want your money on your investments to, to make up that difference. So you're not doing, in essence, a pay-as-you-go. The whole point of having a pension fund is that the investments will help pay off these obligations. Um, when Terra is underfunded, those, that investment return has additionally the job of trying to make up, uh, trying to make up the difference, trying to get from, from being about 60% funded to ideally about 100% funded. And they, uh, and, and, and so, Bad years hurt more than good years help, and that's the kind of thing that you're seeing here, where they go from from being um, uh, from from being about a little over sixty percent, maybe sixty three percent funded, to being now back under sixty percent funded. Meaning that that for uh, by their own calculation, assuming a seven and a quarter percent rate of return every year, they have uh, they have enough money on hand to cover. 60 cents worth of every dollar's worth of, of, of promises that have been made. Okay, so let's talk about these promises. These are promises we have people that have retired that are depending on, you know, what has been promised to them. <clears throat> I would submit to you that compared to people in the private sector, it's it's a pretty, um, a pretty uh, lucrative in, in many ways. Um, but, but they've been promised that. And then you've got these young you know, hardworking teachers that are coming in, they're actually putting more into this. They're, and they're being promised that they're going to get X down the road. I, I, I don't know. I'm really concerned about it because people are, are, you know, depending on these promises, at some point in time, what's going to happen? Well, what's, 
Uh, what's liable to happen is what you see happening to current retirees, which is which is part of um, part of a plan that was put in place in, uh, in, in in 2018 to to help Para get out of this problem. One of the things that they did uh, is that should Para fall behind its funding, they, they put in what they believed was a a, a glide path to to getting uh, to being fully funded in in 30 years. Uh, again, you know, volatility generally puts a wrench in those mm-hmm, things. But, mm-hmm. but on on the assumption that you have these nice smooth returns, uh, that that I, I still think are, are are a little aggressive. By the way, I mean seven and quarter percent is still higher than than most large, most sort of independent examiners of the market. And that, that over long term, you probably expect about six and a half percent, which is about what they've gotten since two thousand. Which so that seems still over that, but let, well, and that seems reasonable to to bring that down even further. But but they're making this assumption that they're going to have seven point two five percent return year over year. Is that what you're say, saying to us? That's what. Yes, exactly. And and even if they do that, uh, or I'm sorry, if they do that, then they would be fully funded in about thirty years or so. So given all of that, uh, if they fall behind the funding schedule, there are some things that happen. Employees contribute more. Employers contribute more. There, it becomes a line item in the state budget, which is, in essence, a, a taxpayer bailout of, of, of PARA. And unfortunately, what happens is the cost of living adjustments, which is one of the few things that the court, one of the few existing benefits that a court will, will, let, uh, will, will let a pension plan adjust, the cost of living adjustments get cut, which means you now have seniors who are already retired. This is for existing retirees who are already retired, have already made all their investment decisions. They've already made all their financial decisions for their lives. They're living in a in, a, in an area, many of them, living in, in the, say, the Denver area, where rents uh, are, are, are increasing, obviously, far above inflation, and they're going to see their cost of living adjustments cut. So, you know, what, that's what will end up happening to, to, uh, to employees down the line is that, you know, the, the sooner or later, they're simply not going to be able to see the benefits that, uh, that they've been promised, either that or they have to raise taxes to the point where, where uh, you know, as in other states, people will begin, will begin fleeing that kind of a tax burden. Oh, and, and then that just is like a snowball once it gets rolling because of, of high taxes and this kind of, I don't know, would you say, and, and would you say there's mismanagement or is it just market volatility? What do you think is going on over there at Para? Oh well, in terms of the rate of return, I don't think I don't think it's mismanaged in the sense that I think that, that they're doing a poor job picking investments. Uh, they were about in the middle. So, so pension. There are two things to, to bear in mind here. Number one is some of this was an artifact of when they report. They were, their fiscal year closes at the end of the calendar year. Other plans. I went and I looked at at, at a large database that um, uh, Boston College keeps of these things, and other plans that report at the end of the year. You know, came in somewhere between nearly zero percent loss and maybe a six percent loss. So Pero was was about in the middle of that. So uh, remember, part of this is an artifact of stocks doing poorly in the fourth quarter, and so Pero reports in the fourth quarter. Since then, stocks have recovered somewhat, and that will be no doubt what 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 Pero argues. The problem is they don't actually report investments except at the end of the year. They don't really have that information. Of, of how they've done in the interim. They don't give quarterly reports on their investments like some pension funds do. They only give the annual reports. So the only real information we have is what they had at the end of the year. Okay. And okay. and we need to we need to bear that in mind that they sort of don't get to uh, they don't get to claim credit for a rebound unless they're willing to actually, you know, go to the mat and put that on paper and say here's where we are. 
Got um, it. So I don't think I don't think they're mismanaged uh, by in terms of in terms of investments. I think given the rate of return that they that their investment people have been asked to achieve, I think they have they have therefore taken on risk that is that is uh, detrimental to to the long term health of the fund. Okay, well, hey Joshua Sharf, we're out of time on this, but uh, go to Complete Colorado. Very important piece. Your yours. Pieces are always so well-researched and so thoughtful. So, again, this is Joshua Scharf. His piece at Complete Colorado is Paris Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Year. Thanks so much, Joshua, and we will talk to you soon. Thank you, Kim. Okay, and we've got Jason McBride on the line. Hey, Jason, any quick comments on Para? Um, well, I think Joshua covered it pretty well, and it's hard to make quick comments on it because it's such a... Uh, a twisted mess, so I'll, I'll hold off until I'd have time to make a little bit more comments. Okay, sounds good. Now, hey, one other thing, you know, we are coming in, I uh, just mentioned that Tom Steyer has put his ha- uh, hat in the ring for, for president. What happens in the market in pre-election years? Well, I was just about to say it's uh, uh, maybe Para will have a better year this year because pre-election years are by far the best performing years for the market, this year so far is uh, is bearing that out with the markets up approximately 20%, depending on which one you look at. Now we're only halfway through the year, so there's still a lot of time for that to get better or get worse. But, yeah, by far, the pre-election year has outperformed all other of the four-year of the four-year cycle uh for for many many years kim and in fact uh we've only had one losing year in the markets in the last 80 years in a pre-election year and that was in 2015 wow and so it's a good year for people to sit down with you and your colleagues over at presidential wealth management and have you take a look at their nest egg and if they want to do that check out chickspresidential.com that's chickspresidential.com and i know jason you and your colleagues will uh, sit down with folks and help them out on their nest egg you bet. Absolutely. Like you always say, Kim, it's about your personal economy. And come on over and let's get personal. You got it. We'll be right back with Mike Shelton. Are you looking for news, not propaganda? Ready for a news source you can actually trust? How about a news site that doesn't want to sell you a subscription? Visit CompleteColorado.com to see all the latest news from around Colorado. Complete Colorado's staff scours news sources from around the state and nation to bring you only the top stories that affect you right here in our great state. Updated three times a day, CompleteColorado.com has full-time reporters doing original investigations and reporting like newspapers used to do, as well as opinion and political commentary from a variety of Colorado voices. And CompleteColorado.com is the only place to read columnist Mike Rosen. Always fresh content, always free, always informed. CompleteColorado.com, your complete source for Colorado news. Don't miss Vino and Veritas, Wine and Truth, a study of the Federalist Papers. Join Kim Munson with the AmeriChicks at Water's Edge Winery in Centennial or Colorado Cork and Keg in Castle Rock. And now introducing Vino and Veritas in Fort Collins at Ginger and Baker. Kim Munson with the AmeriChicks would like to thank Presidential Wealth Management Loveland for sponsoring the new Vino and Veritas in Fort Collins. In Denver and Castle Rock, Kim would like to thank Presidential Wealth Management Denver and YourTownTaxpayers.com for their generous support. Vino and Veritas, Wine and Truth, a study of the Federalist Papers. Sign up today at AmeriChicks.com.
Social media is important to the AmeriChicks since it's an avenue we can utilize to hear from and speak to all of our friends. For those of you who enjoy listening to the show, we'd love to hear what's on your radar. Follow us and talk to us at AmeriChicks Twitter and Facebook pages. Also, if you're a business owner who could benefit from some extra foot traffic from like-minded friends, consider advertising on the AmeriChicks radio show. Contact us at AmeriChicks.com or email Kim at AmeriChicks.com. Back to the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson, where we dissect issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree? Let's have a conversation. I am thrilled to have a conversation today with Mike Shelton, who is a city councilman in Broomfield. Mike Shelton, welcome to the AmeriChicks. Thank you so much, Kim. Happy to be here. Well, you have been a city councilman for about as long as I've known you. Uh, so tell us a little bit about Broomfield a City Council. Yeah, it's a 10-member board. We have five wards and two representatives per ward. They have staggered four-year terms, and we're term-limited, just like most cities, at uh, two four-year terms. So I was elected in 2011, and I'm term-limited this November. Do you have other things in, uh, in mind regarding politics by any chance? Uh, I don't know. You ask me tomorrow, and the answer will be totally different. You know, <laughs> that's, pro- that's probably true. That's probably true. So, well, Mike, thank you so much for joining me because you have written a very succinct, very important piece for the Complete Colorado, and it's uh, the title is "Tax Rebates to Corporations Are Unfair, Unhealthy, and Unnecessary." This is a fascinating piece. You said that uh, Broomfield recently passed a tax incentive deal with Crocs, which you know is the shoes. Uh, they were formerly in Niwot. And so they've moved uh, to Broomfield, and they have received a 50% rebate on business personal property tax each year for 10 years. So that's kind of setting up how you started on this, uh, this important piece in Complete Colorado. Uh, take it from there. Yeah, thanks for picking up on that. Um, you know, full disclosure, I was raised in the Niwot area, so I'm familiar with that business park where Crocs has been thriving So this one kind of hit close to home and kind of raised my eyebrows more significantly than the others. And I guess the other thing to say is that Broomfield is hardly the worst (laughs) at all of these. There's plenty of governments around Colorado and probably around the nation that uh, do much worse things like just give money straight up to people. Mm-hmm. And you know these what? They do this under the guise of economic development. In many of these cities and counties and states, they all have paid uh, government bureaucrats that uh, are with these economic development offices in many cases. And uh, basically, they're kind of ch- picking winners and losers. But I just wanted to make that make that point. Yeah, uh, that is their job. If you have an economic development department at your city or the state, then uh, this is part of their job is to go look for companies and recruit them. And a lot of uh, some part of those deals is uh, a tax rebate or some other kind of incentive. So uh, what mainly concerns me is the unintended consequences that come from those kinds of deals which are really hard to see, and if you really do think about them, then uh, they may be worse than actually doing nothing. 
So that's kind of what I want to do, evoking that peace and kind of run through those things. Well, let's do that because the argument for economic development is that it brings in commerce, it brings in jobs, it brings in people. Um, but as you mentioned, there are unintended consequences. So let's go through that, Mike Shelton, Broomfield City Councilman. <laughs> yeah, I'd be happy to. So the first thing to realize is that these are tax incentives for new companies, either a, a company that's starting up, but uh, there's a uh, there's an exception in the state statute that uh, even if you're not a new company, if your investment is big enough, then you can also take advantage of the tax incentive. So what that means is that the largest corporations are in a better position to uh, take advantage of those deals, and they're being better served by those tax incentive deals. The smaller companies aren't able to take advantage of those, or maybe not even be knowledgeable about this, because let's be honest, most people would just be appalled that their government can actually rebate <laughs> taxes like this. Like, we all want rebates. Why are they giving it just away to select people? I think that's something that bothers people, so they don't know this is going on. And another thing I think that we see a lot of, I, I hear a lot of people saying that we want mom-and-pop shops, we want mm -hmm. small grocers, we want local restaurants, you know, people that live here and work here. But if we start doing, when we do all of these incentive programs, we're really just incentivizing the big guys, and they're competing against those small guys, and so we're kind of shooting ourselves in the foot with these incentives. That's well, one of those big yeah. consequences. Well, and you know, you think about it. Uh, first of all, you, you're, you make an important point that, the, but the the big guys they get a refund on some of their taxes or a special deal, and your little company over here, your, your little mom and pop uh, operation. You know, they're probably the ones that are helping to sponsor the local little baseball team. And, you know, they're part of the community. And it defies reason, And because I also served on city council, it defies reason why you would give, uh, you know, this big business coming in a, a special deal and not, and not uh, the mom and pop. And so the, the big picture, and I think that you hit this in your piece, is that if, in fact, you know, lower taxes are better, lower regulations are better for the big company, well, maybe they're good for the mom and pop. Maybe lower regulations and lower taxes are good for the, the mom and pop group as well. Yes. Yeah, and that's why this, this kind of false dichotomy that the the city staff will always present uh, is so bothersome because there are so many natural organic ways to attract a business and individuals to come to your city uh, that's with good street maintenance <laughs> it's with you know ease of doing business it's with like you said low taxes you know competent government that serves its people really well and uh, provides, you know, good parks and recreation and the schools are good. So these are all things that uh, naturally attract business and individuals. So uh, I wonder why we would focus on those incentives in the first place. Uh, it doesn't seem to be all that necessary. It seems like such a small little amount. And it really is. These, this tax incentive, for instance, for Crocs amounts to... I think it's about 75000 It's a billion-dollar company, so you can't make the argument that the incentive is the reason that they're coming here. You know, they picked Broomfield for other reasons, and that tax incentive is just a, 
icing on the cake, I suppose, but it's pretty offensive to all the other businesses that have been operating here while they're paying full freight. Well, and, you, and that's important to note. But another thing, you mentioned that you grew up, grew up in Niwot, and this is where Crocs had been, had their business, and they've been thriving there. But there's, I think, an unintended consequence about what happens to the community where that business has been. What do you? What, what's your comments about that, Mike Shelton? Yeah, it also bothers me that we seem to have cities engaging in sort of a bidding war for companies. And so the the offers keep on increasing in size, and maybe companies are playing cities off of each other. Amazon is the classic example, although that's obviously a little bit anomalous. But the same idea holds true. The, the cities really do compete over bringing these companies, and they offer competing incentive packages. As that bid price gets uh, gets higher, uh, that alone is troublesome. Uh, but then I also wonder what's going to happen to the communities where those businesses come from. So, you know, a lot of businesses will uh, look for a, a new headquarters or something like that. And if they can't make it work, they may not move. But if they find a lucrative incentive package, then they may. And so what one city government ends up doing is using its citizens' tax money to lure a company in, and that community from where the business came ends up losing. So if that was a major employer, the, the problem could be, uh, could be multiplied. If it's a, a retailer, then maybe that market, maybe that market in the surrounding businesses also suffer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Kind of a domino effect there. And my argument is just we don't need to be messing with that stuff. It's not the <laughs> why, proper role of why government. Put public money into it. Right. Right. <laughs> that is not really the, the proper role of government. And and, and the other thing, and you, you started to highlight this in your piece, and so let's just kind of open that up. We're going to go to break then in f- a few minutes. But there is pressure that uh, is put on a community regarding um, roads and sewer and schools that I don't think a lot of people think about. And that's another one of those unintended consequences that you talk about in this very important piece that you did. Tax rebates to corporations are unfair, unhealthy, and unnecessary. So talk a little bit more about these uh, unintended consequences. Yeah, and there's even another one that I realized just shortly after publishing this, and that's impacts to the environment. So the logic would go if we're incentivizing a new business to come in here, and a lot of times these are high-paying jobs, too. There's another thing that the city wants to do is attract uh, attract people that are of means. That's that's one of the goals. Or, and we try to attract well good-paying jobs, too. There's a, a big movement to not pay real low wages. We want people well-paid. So these well-paid individuals come into the community and they have to live somewhere and they have to shop somewhere. So they'll be bidding on the housing stock, same as everybody else. And we can assume that the prices would be bid up. And we've already, we already have a housing cost issue. The affordability of housing is pretty much none. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I said in the article that Houses are priced like Dutch tulips right now. Uh, in other words, just really high. Everybody's 
a fan of moving to Colorado. We have very low property taxes compared to all the other states. I think we're 10th lowest. And so it's a good place to come. So even businesses coming from out of state, relocating here, they've got to buy those homes. They've got to put their kids in schools and they've got to go use the roads and shop and use all the other services. And that increases the pressure on all of those, especially I think in housing. And so the argument again is why, why contribute to the problem? Well, and you think about it, Mike Shelton, and we're going to go to break in just a, a few seconds here. But so this big company gets a break. They get to basically they're going to be able to keep more money in their pocket. So in essence, they might be able to pay, you know, a higher wage. Well, then once again, also in the labor market, that means mom and pop people over here in order to try to keep up with with trying to pay higher wages that, uh, you know, uh, it puts them at a disadvantage. And then you mentioned housing, you know, mom and pop and, and their employees need to have a place to live. But again, since this big company is getting breaks, they're able to pay their people more, which puts upward pressure on those costs, which again hurts our little businesses. So let's go to break and continue with this very important conversation. I'm talking with Mike Shelton. He has served on Broomfield City Council for eight years. He's term limited. He's written this very important piece that was in Complete Colorado. It's called Tax Rebates to Corporations are Unfair, Unhealthy, and Unnecessary. We'll be right back. Award-winning realtor Karen Levine has 30 years of experience with REMAX Alliance. As a director with the National Association of Realtors, Karen Levine works to protect your private property rights. Karen Levine believes in home ownership. Since losing her mother to breast cancer, Karen Levine has helped to organize a local fundraising event called Karen's for the Cure, raising money for breast cancer research. Choose Karen Levine to buy or sell your home because she understands that it's more than just a house. Karen Levine comes highly recommended by the Americhicks with Kim Munson. So call award-winning realtor Karen Levine with REMAX Alliance today at 303-877-7516. That's 303-877-7516. Come join the 88 Drive-In for all your favorite blockbuster movies. We're open seven days a week. Admission is only $9 per person, and children under 12 are free. Friday, July 5th through Thursday, July 11th, features will include Toy Story 4, Godzilla, and Aladdin. And remember our popular Monday through Thursday pizza special? Get one 12-inch pizza served fresh and hot from our oven and two tall, cool 16-ounce sodas, all for only 12 bucks. Plus, now you can top it all off with our new sweet, crunchy churros and a steaming cup of hot chocolate. For more information, go to our Facebook page or visit our website at 88drivein.net. You get more out of life when you go out to a movie. Welcome back to the Americhicks with Kim Munson, where we dissect issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree, let's have a conversation. Having a very important conversation with Mike Shelton. He has served on Broomfield City Council for eight years. He's term limited out this November. He's written this really, really important piece. Uh, Tax rebates to corporations are unfair, unhealthy, and unnecessary. And Mike, you've really hit on it, but there's so many things that happen under the guise of economic development and for some reason uh, many cities counties and even our state thinks that we need to have that be a government 
incentivized program when in essence, uh, if government got out of the way, economic development, I would submit to you, happens organically. But let's, uh, let's talk a little bit more. We were, we're, we're going through the unintended consequences of economic development. The, the politicians and pundits and interested parties say, hey, this is going to bring in commerce, it's going to bring in jobs, it's going to help keep our, our uh, housing values up. But there's unintended consequences. We kind of hit on that. Why don't you make sure that our listeners understand exactly what you're concerned about? Yeah, so the the proponents of these incentive packages will say that uh, they're good because the community will have more jobs and they will go around and they will shop at the stores and it'll just be great to have more people. But there's a whole lot of drawbacks to that also. And you you mentioned just before the break that there's competition uh, for employees too. And if you bring in... Uh, a new company that pays really well, then the other businesses around them might start having to pay a higher wage to attract the employees to replace them. And and you know, people would apo- people would apo- yeah people will opine oh that's what we need to do because sure. <laughs> we're trying to to you know get higher wages for people what they don't well, understand is is that you are artificially allowing this big business to have more money in their pocket that they can pay people because they're paying less of their share in taxes and this little company over here that many people say hey this is great we're increasing wages here Labor costs get so high at some point that uh, people will either go out of business or they will move someplace else. Right. That's the thing is that the smaller shops especially are operating on such small margins that these little effects have much larger effects. So, sure, while that business is still alive, they might be paying a dollar more. But if they only survive a year, then what good is that? Good point. That's a great question. So it's something to pay attention to. And and another part is the environmental impacts. If we're going to incentivize new companies to move here, and a lot of times these deals are done in uh, vacant land, and a new company will come in and build a new building on a vacant piece of property. And if you care about the environment and you don't want to see government promoting this new development, then I think you should be concerned about these tax incentive deals, too, because it makes it easier for that new company to come in. And they're bringing a lot of concrete. They're pouring a lot of asphalt. They're cutting down trees. Um, You know, there are a whole lot of impacts. They're running air conditioners. And, yeah, they're bringing in a whole lot of people, too, to go onto the roads. Okay. Fascinating. Now, that brings up a question, because I'm a property rights girl. You know, I really think that... You know, people in a responsible manner, you know, but, but, you know, you have your property, you should be able to do with it what you want. So say if I have a piece of vacant land and with no tax incentives, just organically, I take a look at it and I think I can develop this property. I can, you know, make a, um, a profit perhaps, or I can start to create wealth. How do you feel about just people organically being able to do that? Because that, you know, that will incur, you know, incur concrete and different things like that. So what would your comment be to people on that, Mike Shelton? Uh, I'm, I'm all for those developments that are done you know, voluntarily. Uh, it's when somebody wants to give up their vacant piece of property and host homes, then 
you know, I'm, I'm fine with that. I don't want to get in that way. A lot of city plans do try to get in their way mm-hmm. and zone it for things that the city wants. And in a strange way, there's reasons for that. If you want to look into the Gallagher Amendment and figure out why cities want so badly to bring in commercial and retail is because they pay almost five times the amount of property tax as residential. So cities are, you know, they're 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 really competing hard for businesses because that's how a city is going to survive. You know, and that survive without it. That is so interesting that you brought up the Gallagher Amendment because there is kind of a movement out there that they are. Uh, uh, kind of talking that, oh, there's a big problem with the Gallagher Amendment uh, because there is this disparity that you just mentioned regarding uh, that commercial property is taxed much higher at a much higher rate than residential property. But uh, many of the people that want to say, quote unquote, fix Gallagher are not thinking about, hey, we'd like to lower those taxes on on businesses, on commercial properties and bring that down. I think what they're thinking is we need to figure out a way to increase the taxes on residential. And so I just wanted to make that note. We have not talked a lot about Gallagher yet. We've talked a lot about uh, Tabor, the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights. But uh, I think it's important to understand when people say they want to fix Gallagher, in essence, instead of lowering the taxes on commercial properties, they're thinking, hey, how can we uh, increase the property and the, the taxes on residential? So I just I know that's a side note, but I want people to understand that because yeah. we need to go go through that. Some people certainly do. I, I know one of the components of the, the Gallagher working groups, one of the questions they were exploring was whether we can go away from the state set rate and let counties or cities or whatever decide their own rates. And so what what you might see is that, you know, like what we say is that if you lower the uh, taxes, then you will see more commerce and the economy will improve. So, you know, if, if cities and counties were able to set those rates, I think actually what you would see is a lot of cities and counties starting to reduce their retail property, uh, commercial property tax rates, the non-residential property tax rates. And yeah, of course, you will see people also saying that we need to uh, raise the residential rates. And I would just remind everybody again that we're 10th lowest. So, you know, I wouldn't be in favor of doing that. Uh, But what Gallagher has done has forced the residential assessment rate to go lower and lower and lower and lower. And ordinarily, you know, you wouldn't do that. Or if you did it, you would do it in a more balanced way so that the non-commercial, non-residential sector isn't carrying four or five times the burden. Well, you know, we kind of want that a little bit more balanced, but yeah. off topic, maybe. Well, yeah, but, and, but if <laughs> it you is lower, a large conversation. It is a large conversation. But if you lower taxes, you know, with the Laffer curve, if you lower taxes and there's more commerce, the tax receipts actually they go up because there's a bigger pot you're collecting taxes from and one of the reasons that that pot gets bigger is because private enterprise goes out and they create uh, products and services that people are willing to trade their hard-earned dollars for and so a lot of and mike i know you're on the firing line there's so many politicians and pundits and and bureaucrats and interested parties that don't understand that and if you have high taxes though this is the other thing then then you can give people special deals and uh, there's politicians and bureaucrats that they kind of like that power i've seen it anyway 
Yeah, that's that's why you really see no one pushing for uh, um, charter amendments to prevent governments from doing this, and you never see state legislators trying to prohibit cities and counties from competing with public money. But interesting thing that I linked to in the article, my article is uh, some work that was, it's another article in Complete Colorado that points out that the Colorado Constitution does prohibit uh, public money from being spent this way and given away as incentives. And it's basically a, a, in a, a statement in, in defense of principles of fairness. So I think that's interesting. But, of course, courts and the legislature have kind of withered that away, and no one really pays attention to it anymore. <laughs> so that is in the Colorado Constitution, and uh, the Gallagher Amendment is in the Constitution, as well as Tabor, the Taxpayer Bill of Rights. Um, you know, Mike, we're just about out of time, and there's a whole nother conversation that I would like to talk with you about, and that is affordable housing. And I submit right. to you that affordable housing homelessness. Uh, I've started to call them the industrial complexes because uh, once you get government involved in these things, uh, you start to see prices go up, picking winners and losers. What's coming down the pike uh, there in Broomfield? And then let's get you scheduled to come back and talk about affordable housing. But what do you see coming coming down the pike there? Yeah, sure. There's a few different recommendations. Uh, one positive one actually is uh, accessory dwelling units. So if you wanted to build onto the back of your home and host another family or person or your grandparent or a son or a daughter, you could do that. Um, that, that is one way to um, provide uh, or allow more housing to be built, and that's going to eventually uh, bring prices down. Another approach to it is to require all new development to follow some kind of uh, restriction that says you must set aside a certain percent of units as affordable. Now that gets me crazy. <laughs> that yeah, one it's gets- a little hard to swallow, especially when we were when the same people that are uh, are supposedly so worried about the affordability of housing going out of control. They're the same people that vote for the incentive packages that bring big companies here with high paying salaries. So I, I think they're actually contributing to the problem there, and uh, we could stop interfering and things wouldn't be as bad. Well, I think that that is a very novel idea. So, Mike Shelton, we will get you scheduled uh, to talk about affordable housing. I thank you so much for this very important piece that you've done. It's in Complete Colorado by Mike Shelton, city councilman uh, in Broomfield, and its tax rebates to corporations are unfair, unhealthy, and unnecessary. I would highly recommend that you read it. Mike Shelton, thank you so much. Thank you. Bye now. And our quote for today is from former British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher. She says, at one end of the spectrum are the terrorist gangs within our borders and the terrorist states which finance and arm them. At the other are the hard left operating inside our system, conspiring to use union power and the apparatus of local government to break, defy, and subvert the law. So this is Kim Munson signing off. Today, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals, and like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. This is Kim Munson signing off. God bless you, and God bless America.
don't say.